Welcome to Boobs, Booze, and Other Stuff, where no topic is taboo. Booze is on deck, and I keep it real, real interesting. Hey, hey, welcome to BBOS. All right, tonight I have a special guest with me. A little over a year ago, I walked into Kid Rocks and heard what I can only describe as probably one of the best bands I've ever listened to in my <laughs> lifetime. Truly a magical night, high-level entertainment to be sure, and it ultimately led to some wonderful business relationships and certainly uh, wonderful friendships as well. And I have been following, listening to, and loving John Stone in the Trailer Park All-Stars ever since that <laughs> night in April of 2021. So I'm lucky enough to have John joining me on the show tonight. And uh, hey, welcome, welcome, John. How are you? Hey, I didn't even know this was our one-year anniversary. Oh, it is. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's our one-year anniversary. Yeah. Who knew? Heck yeah, it's so yeah, good to see you. That? It's literally, John, who knew? I plan my Nashville trips around when you're playing. I do. It's a treat. Oh, it's a total treat. I appreciate it. It really that. is. That's awesome. Heck yeah, and it's from the heart. I have to say, I feel like you lead a very charmed life in that you get to do something that you love to do, which, as you know, a lot of people work their whole darn life and it's just work. I mean, they just don't enjoy it. So yeah. I admire the fact that you're doing something that you love and that you're great at and that you bring a lot of joy to it for sure. That's a good thing. I appreciate that. And we have been conditioned from childhood to be worker bees, get a good job, nine to five benefits and the retirement package and all that stuff. And that's good. For some folks that if, if they like that structure in their life and they like the routine kind of thing. But I always tell my son, he's 21 now, I've told him since he was little, I said, find something that you love to do and figure out how to make people pay you to do it. And I said, then you'll be truly happy. And I said, there's people who get paid to fish for a living. There's people who get paid to sing for a living. Yes. And there's actually a girl who makes $50,000 a week farting into a freaking mason jar and selling it on the internet. So find your niche, man. <laughs> I mean, that's a true story. This chick's really mm. making money. That is. Flatulating into a mason jar and sending it out to people. She makes $50,000 either a week or a month. So people just, they're How so. How crazy is that? I know, but it's to trip us. People are so self-confined. They create their own barriers. People create their own barriers. Yeah. You are your own roadblock. Agreed. <laughs> it's a fact. Yeah. The times in my life, John, that I've gone the wrong way, it's usually because I was getting in my own way. <laughs> I can tell you that for sure. That is very, very true. We're our own worst enemy all the time. Facts. All the time. It's funny you mentioned that story about the flatulence deal. I was listening to Joe <laughs> Rogan, and he was talking about a chick who's on Instagram who all she does is show her ass. She doesn't show her face. She doesn't talk. She's never said a word. And she has something like, I don't know, 8 million followers or more. I forget. It's some ridiculous number. And is probably making money off of it, too. But I'm like, never shows a face, doesn't utter a word, just different shots, just different angles. And I'm like, good grief. I bet you that chick is living a lavish lifestyle. 
A lavish lifestyle. Yeah, she might be in the lap of luxury for sure. All right, before your musical career started, I know I've, I've read a little bit. I did a little light recon here and there, and I know it was something that was a childhood dream. But before that, you and I share a little bit of a heritage in the military. I was in the Air Force, but you were a gunner on an M1 tank in the Army. I was. So I would love for you to share really anything that you're comfortable sharing about your military experience. I joined the military in the 11th grade in what they call the delayed entry program. And uh, so the whole time I was in uh, high school during my senior year, I was doing drills with the National Guard. And that's what I enlisted in, the Alabama National Guard. And so when I graduated high school, I went to boot camp. And I graduated boot camp November the 30th of 1990. And December the 4th, wow, okay. my unit was activated for Desert Shield at the time. So we got sent to Fort Hood, Texas. And uh, we were attached to 2nd Armored Division. And then it turned into Desert Storm. Well, all of the guys from the 2nd Armored Division out of Fort Hood, Texas, they were the first wave into Kuwait. And they were the armor unit that liberated Kuwait and then headed into Iraq. We were the second deployment. And we were eight days from going to Iraq. We had our orders cut and everything. And uh, we were eight days from our deployment. We had already loaded all of our stuff on railhead, and it was shipping out. And they called a ceasefire, and it never re-escalated. And so I missed going to Iraq by eight days, and I had just turned 18 years wow. old. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. man. I tell you, it's so funny how, and you know this, having been prior military, how People that have never served the country and never served in the military, they really have somewhat of a disconnect in terms of what it's really like, yeah. you know? And I think, of course, the media, they always do everything they can to validate their prejudice against the military, which is unfortunate. I mean, <laughs> that's why we're here having free speech. As I told you, that's very important to me. But people just don't get it. They really don't. And I admire it. Very laudable and uh, certainly appreciate your service. For some reason... The majority, and thank you, and thank you for your service. For some reason, the majority of the uh, the media hates anything that's American. They do. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that could be a whole other podcast, couldn't it, John? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm stunned. There's stuff I never thought I would see right now, and there's stuff I hope I don't see before I, you know, tee up whatever's left. You know yeah. what I mean? I, there's stuff I don't want to see, quite frankly. I buried my dad in 2015, and... You know, my dad, he couldn't have seen this right now. I'm sure he's spinning, you know. It's yeah. like he just loved this country so much, and he served in the Navy, and he wouldn't even believe what's going on right now. He wouldn't even believe it. It's stunning. Well, I saw a thing not too long ago. It was one of these. It was a reporter. I can't remember exactly which news channel it was. But they were walking around these college campuses, and they were asking college-age kids. You could tell they were going to school at whatever college they were at. They said, are you proud to be? an American. And these kids were saying no. Mm -hmm. They were saying no, that they were embarrassed or they were ashamed to be an American. And that absolutely <laughs> blew my yeah. mind. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah. what the actual hell? Because these kids are going to a yeah. university. They're wearing yeah. the most expensive clothes they could probably find, walking around with a $1,200 cell phone in their hand. And they have the ability to say what they yeah. just said without getting thrown in jail or without being persecuted. And they have the opportunity to be and become anything they want to be in a country that is designed specifically for that. And they're sitting there, say they're embarrassed or ashamed to be an American. It makes you wonder 
Yeah. Well, you don't have to wonder. We all know what's being taught in our schools. I, I don't think it's so much being taught as, as yeah. indoctrinated anymore. And that's a shame. That's really a shame. It, well, and that's it. And I think over the last 40 years, we've seen it, you know, and I came out of an education. I told you briefly, but I was in a system that was so left wing and I was kind of the only right winger. You know, I had to go. There was no place for people like me, right? Yeah. They don't want any part of that. And I watched what they were teaching these kids and it, it's sickening. It is sickening. It really is. It's been a concerted effort for years. I think a lot of the, the people who was protesting the Vietnam War in the hippie movement, you know, became educators. And oh, yeah. through the course of decades, <laughs> they have changed the curriculum. And, you know, a lot of people call it indoctrination. And you can call it indoctrination because I saw something pop up the other day and it was a meme or something. Chinese kids in the third grade are, are, you, are learning like advanced calculus or something. And our children in yeah. the third grade are barely learning how to read and write. And I can attest that to that. That's a fact. And there's, there's kids in Pakistan and India that are learning how to write two separate languages at the exact same time with each hand. They can write with each hand in separate languages at the same time. I don't know what's happened to the school system. I, I think it's because the federal government got involved. When it was left up to the states and we had no federal... Anytime you get the government involved. Well, when we had no, I guess it's the Department of Education, the Federal Department of Education. Before that, the states decided the curriculum and the, the states ruled over what the kids were taught. I thought kids were educated more back then, you know, but maybe I'm just an old head. Yeah. <laughs> You're spot on. I'm one of those people that worked my way down. I started teaching college and then I eventually ended up teaching pre-K and then became an administrator. But when I was teaching pre-K, these kids had everything they needed to read, right? They were all set to go. And now that the same group, X number of years later, they can't even recite the alphabet. <laughs> it is bad. You're not far off. And it's pretty bad. We've lowered the testing standards to accommodate people instead of raising the tester standards and hiring teachers that can actually teach our kids and getting rid of these people, you know, when, and tenure for teachers is yeah. one of the dumbest things I've ever heard of where you can't fire somebody. If an educator uh, is not capable of educating, they have no business being in our schools, yeah. period. And that goes for anybody. I mean, if, if they're not there to educate, they need to go. And I feel like that we're missing the boat. And one of the main things that scares me about this digital age is where they're doing away with actual written text. And when they actually do away with the written text, then all of our definitions to our vocabulary, all of our history is editable. That can go right in and change it all. Yep. <laughs> I mean, they're doing it. it. It's happening in real time. They are. They've been doing it. I've witnessed it firsthand. Now get an actual hard copy of Webster's Dictionary from 15, 20 years ago, and then compare those definitions with yeah. Webster's online right now and see how different they are. <laughs> yeah, I've got the big ass unabridged. You can't even compare them. Look, yeah. I'm, I could go back, let's see, let's call it 35 years ago. Mm -hmm. And even then, they were testing teachers, okay? They were testing teachers, and the teacher could pass the test with a 70, which in my mind is failing. <laughs> And they could pass it with a 70, but they could fail it up to seven to 10 times and still be teaching your kid. Yeah. And that was that long ago. Yeah. So I'm thinking it's been about 40 years. It's like this downhill. Oh, yeah. 
It frightens me. I look at my kids and, you know, they don't watch the podcast. So I can say this, but they know how their old mother is. And but they are on the left wing. And I don't know. I hope they can come back to some kind of normalcy somewhere along the way. But I think once they get a life, a little bit of life under their belt, they'll start seeing things differently, I hope. I don't know. We'll see. But to be determined. But yeah, that's all they learn, though. It's that single point of view is just shoved right down their throat. They say if you're under 25 and you're not a liberal, you have no heart. And if you're not a conservative, once you reach like 35 or so, you don't have a brain. <laughs> so I, that's an old cliche. That's a fact. <laughs> that's a fact. The way I feel is I think we should be a combination of both. I think we should have, we should be empathetic for people. I consider myself a fiscal conservative, but a social moderate. That's the way I look Heck at myself. Yeah. I don't claim any party. I would see myself the same way. I think they're both screwed up. And I think if we did away with party right lines, now they are. <laughs> yeah. if we did away with Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, and we just tried to be good Americans, I think this would be a way better country. I honestly do. Yeah. We've got to get away from all this BS that's going on right now. I mean, we've got to get to the point where we can talk to each other even when we don't agree. I'm blown away that you can't have a conversation with somebody that you don't agree with. They just can't have it. Do you know why that is? Because you can sit here in Georgia right now and I can be in Nashville and we can have a conversation. And if you say something I don't like, I can't smack you upside the head. Back in the day, before we had <laughs> social media and we had computers, if you said something disrespectful to or about someone, you had to answer for it. Yeah. You know, or that person you said it about would never know it. And if they did know it, they would call you on it. And you either had to say it to their face or you had to chicken shit out. And people was a little closer with their lip back then. Now some person in California can be conversing <laughs> with some person in Massachusetts yeah. and call them all kind of names, sign off, and that's the end of it. So yeah. they feel safe behind that keyboard. Oh, yeah. And the actual art of conversation has been lost. And it is an art. And I've got to say that I've got some very liberal friends. True. I've got some very liberal friends. Yeah. And I mean, I would call them progressively liberal. But they are still as much <laughs> my friend today yeah. as they ever have been. When we interact, this is what I like to call political pugilism. We take a few shots at each other. <laughs> we don't disrespect one another. We get our words in. When we get done, right. we say, I do. I got to go play a song. I'll see you at the Crawfish Bowl or... Or take care, brother, love you. I'm out. Peace. And that's the end of it. That's the end of it. We don't yeah. disrespect one another. And we're still friends to this day. And hopefully, yeah, well, that's how it should be. That's where it should be. And hopefully, we'll remain friends for forever. I know people are sick to death of politics and shit, but you know, it's hard not to talk about these days. <laughs> the reality is, why shouldn't you be able to talk about it? I know. People, their blood will just literally boil over some of this stuff. I'm old school, right? I like, I think anybody can point out problems. I think that's mm -hmm. not rocket science, right? Everybody can point out a problem. That's great. Good on you. But like, talk to me when you have like an idea about what you could do about yeah. it. You know, I care more about that and less about the pointing it out because I just think that's kind of obvious shit. That's like trout in your milk. Like, I could do that. Yeah. I could point out a problem all day long. But get to where you can talk about how to solve it, you know? I like that concept a little bit better. Simple-minded people talk about other people. True. And people who actually have a direction and a purpose and are successful talk about ideas That's and it. plans. 
That's it. Got the vision. And that's a fact. That is a fact. I feel like I've mostly been on that trajectory my whole life. Probably in my early years, I had some derailments here and there, like everybody does, learning curve. We get caught up in the little shit. Oh, yeah, you can. But like, whatever, women will hate this comment. But women tend to be the worst with getting steeped in pettiness. They do. I don't know. I think that's <laughs> it's a general statement. Sorry, women folk out there that love me and listen. I'm sorry, but I feel like that's true. I don't find that men do it as often. Maybe that's my observation in my lifetime, but you can get caught up in little shit and it's just that. It's little shit. It's like, move on, you know, just move on. I don't even have time for that it's anymore. It's perspective. Yeah. Well, that's very true. It's too. about perspective. Very, very true. We, we all lose perspective. And I Fair talk enough. to my son all the time about situational awareness. Yeah. Knowing what's around you and knowing where you are in the moment. Yeah. And just overlooking the pettiness and not getting caught up in that little shit that trips you up every day yep. that can turn into big stuff. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I do. And I do. We're all guilty of it. Yeah. I'm no saint. I can guarantee you that. I mean, I've had what I'd like to refer to as a, you call that situational awareness. I call it like I've had an acute awareness deficit at times. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've had some of that. <laughs> Check. <laughs> but uh, hey, I'm in a better place as fate would have it. Pardon me if I act like I got a buzz. No, it's okay. I'm <laughs> sipping a little vodka over here myself. Cheers, darling. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. I got me a, a dirty martini. I'll Heck yeah. I, I might get on martinis tomorrow night. That might be my Saturday jam. I love these things, man. I love a good martini. So what's, what's your drink, Dawn? Old fashions. I like a good old fashioned. I like whiskey. I love whiskey. A good whiskey. Hey, I'll tell you, if you like a good old fashioned, and I'm not really a whiskey drinker. I'm not a bourbon guy, mm -hmm. but there's a place if you're, Coming out of Kid Rocks and okay. you go south down Third Avenue back toward the southern. Okay. You know where the southern is, right? I do. I, yeah, I do. Right, right there on the corner of Third and the Mundrian. Okay. There's a uh, a little Italian place right there on the corner of Second Avenue and the Mundrian. Okay. And it's uh, called Cafe Intermezzo. Oh, Cafe okay. Intermezzo. Yeah, I've heard of that. I've go heard of that. Set at the bar. There's a dude behind the bar and he wears a little scully cap. Tell him to make you an old-fashioned. It's the All best right. you'll ever have. Hey, when I come back I in town, I will. Fashion. I will. <laughs> we'll yeah. have to go there and have one after the show. Let's do it. They're so good. I'm not really a bourbon drinker, but I went in there the other night and I said, hey, man, just surprise me. Make me whatever your special is. I said, I don't care what it is. Yeah. Just make me your special drink. He brought me that and I drank it and I was like, damn, man, that's good. What is that? He said, that's an old-fashioned. I was like, I've had lots of old fashions. They weren't near that good. Yeah, they're not always good. There's an art to them. I, I honestly, I feel like I perfected it at my house. I feel like I'm pretty good at that. Skill, check. Got that one. Well, that dude, as far as going to a bar and having an old fashioned, he, that's he, the place. Yeah, it was All delicious. Right. Well, I'm going I'm to hold you to that when I come <laughs> in town next time. All right. So let's talk about your music. When did your okay. music career start in Nashville? That I don't know. In Nashville, it was been. April of 2003, this is my 19th anniversary of Nashville. Wow, congrats, uh, congrats. In seven days. April 15th will be April 15th. Uh, 19 years in Nashville. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and I walked into world-famous Tootsie's Orkin Lounge, and uh, I had actually came to Nashville for years since 1994. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just back and forth, because I've been playing music since 93. And I came in, and I actually played at the stage at one year before in 2002 and I could never get that guy to book me back. He wouldn't wow. return my phone calls. He wouldn't return an email. Yeah. When I would come to town, I would text him and call him and tell him, Hey, I'm here. I'd like to play here again for a solid year. I tried this guy never called me back. 
So I walk into Tootsie's Orkin Lounge one Wednesday night. I was up there. I tipped the band to let me get up and play a couple of songs. And I got up and I played one that kept me up for the second song. And after I played the second song, I got off stage and there was a guy standing there at the end of the bar and he had one arm and we called him one arm Mac. And me and him became great fans and he lost his arm in Vietnam. He got mm. his whole platoon got killed. He was the only survivor and he lost his arm. I mean, it really, really devastated him, but he was the only survivor of this explosion. And he came home and he started working at Tootsie's. Well, he called me over there and I didn't live in Nashville at the time. And he said, Hey man, do you, you live in Nashville? I said, hell yes, I do. <laughs> he said, are you looking to play? I said, hell yes, I am. He said, well, the guy who books all the entertainment, he's in Florida. He won't be back till this weekend, but let me get your number and I'll give it to him and he'll probably call you next week. Well, this was Wednesday night. The next morning I got a phone call by eight o'clock and it was the music director at Tucci's Working Lounge. He said, Hey, can you stay until tomorrow and be in my office Friday morning at eight o'clock? And I said, yeah, I can. So he drove all the way back from Florida wow. to meet me in his office at Friday morning. So I went in there and sat down with him and I took him one of my CDs and I played a few songs. He said, can you stick around tomorrow and do a two hour set in the back room of Tootsie's on the second floor? There was no third floor at that time. It was okay. just the first to second level. And, uh, I said, yeah, I'll stick around one more day. So I went back down there and, uh, I played for like two hours and within a week they had a record label, Tootsie's Orchid Lounge did. It's called Tootsie's Records. Mm -hmm. Within a week, they offered me a record deal and I, wow. I was the first artist they signed to the record label. <laughs> yeah. And so I started playing there and I've been playing for that company. They own Kid Rocks too. I've been playing for them for 19 years. That is awesome. That is awesome. I like yeah. that kind of story. It was a pretty cool story. Uh, I got a pretty cool story about how I got into music business too. So I was probably 93. I'm walking in this gas station in Leesburg, Alabama. I was raised in Northeast Alabama and I'm walking out of the store and this dude's walking in and we vaguely knew each other. We didn't go to the same high schools. We weren't the same age, but I knew he played drums in this band. I'd never been in a band. So he stopped me. <laughs> And he said, Hey man, can you sing? And I said, I think I can. And he said, well, once you come over to my house tonight, we'll jam a little bit. He said, we're about to fire our lead singer. And if I like you, I'll introduce you to my band and we'll, you know, see if they like you. So I went over there on a Tuesday and sang a few songs. They had rehearsal the next night. I went and rehearsed with them. They liked me and I've been in a band ever since. Me and that guy are still friends to this day. And I asked him one time, I said, man, why did you stop me? and asked me if I could sing. He said, honestly, I don't know. I said, well, I appreciate it. <laughs> no kidding. No I kidding. Mean, it just, it was so random. It was just, it was just so random, but that one chance encounter led me to here. You got to like a chance encounter, but th see that there's a certain beauty uh, in that. Uh, I mean, there's meet, a beauty. You'll meet him. He's going to be at my crawfish bowl. Heck yeah. Uh, I'm excited about that. Coming, right? Yes. Yes, sir. I yeah. will be there. Meet this guy. Oh man. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. I love that story. That's in my wheelhouse. I love that. All right. So how many instruments do yeah, you play? Yeah. I feel like I've read you play played, damn near everything. I play three really well. Okay. I can play bass, guitar, and drums. I can play lead guitar, bass, guitar, and drums pretty damn well. Yeah. I also can play harmonica and piano. 
And I can fool around with fiddle and, and banjo, but I'm not really good at that. And I'm really rusty at piano and harmonica. Are you self-taught? I used to be, yeah, totally self-taught. I took a few lessons on a guitar when I was a kid, <laughs> but as far as all the rest of the stuff, and I only took lessons for like six weeks, and uh, all the rest of the stuff I've taught myself. Drums, I've never practiced one minute on drums. <laughs> I never owned a set of drums, but for some reason, I could just sit down behind them and I can play. Like I said, I'm pretty good on drums in the... You know, I'm not good as my drummer. He's a real drummer. But if you watch me play, you'll be like, oh, damn, that dude can play. I mean, I can play drums. And bass guitar, I've never really practiced that either. Now, I've worked at playing lead guitar. Yeah. I put some hours in on that. Yeah. I mean, you are like such a great entertainer. Has that always like been natural for you or? That's always been my forte. And the first time I ever walked on stage, it was as natural as walking to me. Yeah. Even to this day, 27 years into this, I feel more comfortable on stage than I do in any aspect of my life. It's like a hand in a glove. You're at home up there. I mean, you have a presence. You know that, obviously. I mean, you have a stage presence. When you walk out there, you've got that cool confidence. It's like, boom, it's on. You know, if you know, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> you've got that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and a lot of people, I think, over they overthink this being a front man. It's not rocket science. I mean, especially if you play covers like we do. Yeah. All you have to do is play the songs people know the words to. Yeah. Play songs they can sing along with. Because if you play two or three songs they don't know the words to, they're out the door. Yeah. They're gone. See ya. Every song that I play is a hit. It's a song you've heard a thousand times. You know the words forwards and backwards. That's all there is to it, man. But man, you sound good on top of that, though. That's like, a. I mean, come on. You, look, there's a lot of people and I've been up and down that strip. You're the king of it for sure. There's a difference. I mean, not everybody sounds great. Come on. That's reality. Everybody has their talents that's or whatever, true. but pretty well, you own those songs. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I still enjoy every second of being on stage. I mean, I can come in tired. I can come in pissed off. I can come in frustrated and by the time I get to the end of the first song, I got a smile on my face that you can't yeah. wipe off. Yeah. And I thoroughly enjoy every second of it. And that kind of vibe is infectious. Yeah. Other people will absorb your energy. And the one thing that just kills me when I walk up and down Broadway, I'll see musicians and, and singers. The musicians will be sitting there with their head down. You can't see their faces and they're yeah. playing or they've got this sullen look on their face. They never smile. They that just tears my heart out. It's yeah. so crushing. And that energy is also infectious. You have that deal where you, you know, that back and forth with the whole place, with the crowd, because some people get up there and they never even have any interaction with the crowd. I mean, I've watched that. They're just disconnected. And then you'll see people start kind of like you're saying, they wander off. They just kind of disappear. And, yeah. Yep. But if you watch me while I'm playing, and I know you have, and the entire time I'm on stage, I'm scanning the audience yeah. with my eyes. And I will have at least a moment. It may be a small, tiny moment, but I'll have at least a moment with every person in that room. I'll make eye contact with them. I'll give them the, the rock and roll fingers or, yeah. you know, whatever to let them know, I see you. I see you. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you. You know, and I'll have that little moment, that little exchange with them. And man, it makes all the difference. Well, it's time for a refill. 
join me for my next episode of Boobs, Booze, and Other Stuff, where I vow to keep it real and real interesting.